0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control alt delete I'm very excited today to talk to Tori Choi, mostly about her climate change activism, which is hugely inspiring and I can't wait to share this one. But first of all, I just wanted to give a shout out as this is a branded episode sponsored by Vistaprint. They offer personalised and unique products that are perfect for gifting at this time of year offering personalized gifts to people I love at Christmas means there's a little bit more thought behind it. You can get everything from personalized mugs, calendars, photo books, and even face coverings. So check out their Christmas confession campaign via the hashtag My for more festive inspiration. So back to Tori Choi. She is an influencer, climate change activist, and mental health advocate with a previous career in photography. She is a woman of many skills and she is a true multi-hyphenate in my eyes. Last year, Tori worked with Stella McCartney as a model in their campaign as a climate activist. She is a consultant for global brands who are seeking expert advice on topics spanning climate activism, environmentalism, mental health and inclusivity. Recently, Tori launched her own podcast called Bad Activist that she co-hosts with her two friends discussing how to navigate the pressures of perfect activism in an imperfect world. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please consider leaving a little review. Here is the interview with Tori. Welcome Tori to Control Up Delete. I'm so excited to talk to you. So my first question was, I really wanted to ask you, how does one get into working in this climate change conversation? I noticed that you're followed on Twitter by Greta Thunberg. It's such an amazing thing you're doing. And I wondered, you know, how does someone get into doing that?
1: That's a that's a great question because I, I kind of f- fell into it. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking about more and more is, you know, I, I do have a lot of similarities with Greta. Uh, and, and that's why a lot of the time we kind of get bunged in the same conversation because she also sailed across the Atlantic. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm just mindful of kind of like also talking about sort of the, the individual ways I've, I've fallen into it. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it was an accident. I started out living in bristol with the hopes of getting into the wildlife filmmaking industry and and for me my my bread and butter had always been science and science communication conservation i studied conservation at university turned down a phd to move to bristol in hopes of becoming a filmmaker and i just found myself getting really impatient not necessarily with the industry per se, but just the sort of conversations that we were having around climate and the climate crisis and, and all of the things to do with environmentalism. That I started going to protests, and you know, through going to protests, I became more invested and more involved in in the climate movement in the UK. And I, I would at that point kind of turn myself a bit of a baby activist because I'd I'd been involved in campaigning at school, but never to this level, never in direct action. And then it kind of really kicked off when I was scouted for a campaign with Stella McCartney and it was essentially like a visual ode to the planet with Amber Valletta and written by Jonathan Safran Foer and voiced by Jane Goodall. So that was another big wow moment to work with some of my biggest icons, um, Stella has always been very vocal as has her family about animal rights and the environment and then Jane Goodall I was about to do a primatology phd so you know it just felt really really timely <laughs> and really amazing and Stella subsequently sponsored me to sail across the atlantic ocean to the un climate conference cop 25 um so you know i i really was thrown into the deep end which was a great way to experience it, but also perhaps not the most conventional entry into the climate movement. And it was kind of from that point onwards when I was sailing and learned that the COP had been relocated to Madrid when it was originally supposed to be in Chile, that I started thinking, okay, what am I actually doing? And what is my message? And and what is it that I'm interested in? And what do I actually care about? And why am I campaigning so much? And I ended up living in Colombia for three months, facilitating kind of the inverse of the project, which was to charter the sailboat back to Europe and, you know, invite lots of Latin American and Caribbean youth to join us because the representation in the climate movement is so, so poor for the global South and also for people of colour. So, you know, so much of of what I do now is is about inclusion and inclusivity and, and that stuff kind of pertains to to my childhood a lot having grown up in hong kong and being mixed race myself so yeah i had a very unconventional and very dare i say privileged start to being in the climate movement but it's i think it's kind of taken a a form of its own where i'm doing a lot of reciprocity and and kind of really hoping to use my privilege to spotlight and collaborate with with activists who don't have as much of a platform as myself
0: Wow, that's so amazing! I mean, you say it's an accident, but do you think that there's something about that energy that you must have been putting out there like it kind of attracted mm. a lot of maybe an intrigue and people wanting to work with you?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I say an accident in so far as I'd really had my eyes set on the wildlife filmmaking industry had considered presenting in the industry um and that was something I was really determined to do. But I've always had a fire in me. And even growing up in school, I was that annoying school kid that would say, come on, guys, let's recycle or let's turn off the lights. Or, you know, I had a very, very rudimentary understanding of what it meant to be an environmentalist, but I was very, very <laughs> enthusiastic and it kind of really carried through um, in the way that I chose my academic studies and then kind of carried on mm-hmm. in campaigning um so on the one hand yeah kind of like a series of events I would say led me to being where I am now but that energy has always been there and you know had it not been for Stella I think I'd still be doing the same thing now and it's interesting isn't it
0: the kind of tone policing that you see on the internet and it kind of makes me worry sometimes that people Mm. are very afraid of nuance and it's like really black and white but I like the I really like though that you do Talk about. I mean, your podcast is called Bad Activist, isn't it? And you <laughs> yeah. are, um you know, you really call things out, which I absolutely love. But there is a mm. layer as well of understanding, I suppose, of different people and what yeah. they're able to do.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, I'm a very honest person, and I think that because so much of the stuff is that I talked about is framed in the context of activism, perhaps people might see it. Some people might see it as quite aggressive, or see it as quite forthcoming and quite blunt, but that's just who I am as a person anyway. You know, I'd I'd also be the kind of person who'd talk about very colloquial, casual things in a very direct and matter of fact way. And I think a lot of that is actually owed to my Chinese heritage and growing up in Hong Kong where we're we're just very straightforward people, and you know I I do employ a lot of nuance because I realise that things aren't black and white. And you mentioned bad activists, which is you know kind of taking shape and evolving in lots of different ways now. But the podcast started as a space to really dismantle the ideas of perfectionism within the environmental movement and accountability, because I do think that you can call things out and appreciate the nuance and and the importance of not trying to demonise people for being imperfect, but also create space for learning and create space for holding our hands up and going, okay, we're not perfect, but we want to learn. So it's, it's kind of a vehicle for change in a way that encourages change, but also encourages accountability without perfectionism.
0: I love that because you're probably more likely to get people trying their best and doing more mm. when they're not in that defensive mode of like, oh, I'm not yeah. perfect. And I've noticed there is more of a backlash these days around influencers in particular who take a lot of flights. Mm. And I know that that, sometimes I struggle to get my head around it, but I also think you can be a really great sustainability ambassador and sometimes take flights. I don't know. But I mean, I know that there was a quote in a piece that you were in about how 1% of people cause half of global aviation emissions crazy so it's a very privileged one percent I suppose that fly all the time but for anyone listening Mm -hmm. who is thinking god this year's been rubbish and I hope I can go on holiday next year how do we feel like we're doing the right thing in that space
1: I think aviation is such an interesting one because you know when I sailed across the Atlantic that was a very privileged thing to have done and obviously without the help of Stella I wouldn't have been able to cover the costs but our whole um, project on the boat was actually focused on the de-escalation of the aviation industry, which is projected to grow so, so much. And, you know, I walked away from that project thinking there are so many things to focus on in terms of like inclusivity and most marginalized people in areas like that's what I want to focus on. But I've actually reflected a lot on that campaign and the causes thinking, yeah, hang on a second. The reason why aviation is such an important topic is because A, it's projected to grow exponentially in the next few years. And B, there's only a very small percentage of our population that uses flights, um, and it causes like an insurmountable amount of damage to the planet. It was something like you can be vegetarian for twelve years, and that's the same carbon footprint as a transatlantic flight mm-hmm. one way. So you know it's it's ginormous, and. I will admit that I have retired from flying insofar as like I've not really had a reason to fly. Um, The pandemic doesn't help, but I've retired from the idea rather of flying quite frequently and flying unless necessary. And I think instead of kind of leading with those kinds of conversations, my advocacy tries to focus on encouraging people to find alternatives where possible to campaign for the taxation of the aviation industry because again we have to think about this in terms of systems encouraging like staycations you know i went to devon over the summer and i could have like sworn i was in some amazing you know tropical beach area because i found this beautiful cove with this amazing beach and i would have never had known I was in Devon. (laughs) Um, And that was only like a couple of hours away from me. So I think that, you know, we can kind of encourage some positive alternatives. But also, I think it's important to campaign for kind of like system change, um, and in campaign for, you know, these industries to be accountable and to to limit their growth as well. Yes,
0: amazingly said. And I suppose in this time of working from home more and flexible working the idea of someone Mm. just like flying across the world for a meeting that used to be such a normal behavior and now I mean I hope culturally that is just frowned upon Mm. so much more isn't it
1: I I think this time has really given us the opportunity to reimagine what travel can look like what conferencing can look like what communication and working can look like and you know this year has been awful really has been awful for so many communities and and for the health of the world as well but if there is one thing that we can kind of take stock of it's the fact that it's really forced us to think about how we want to move forward and that for me is is really you know quite amazing mm.
0: I've got like goosebumps talking to you because I feel like there's so many things I just really want to get more involved <laughs> in. And it's like t- taking stock and realizing you can get more involved in these mm. things is really important. Um, but I, talking of kind of new careers or not, not even that new, but just this world we're in where we can create our own careers and we can create our own sort of work setup. I'm always really interested to talk to people who work in this space and also it's your job as well mm. how do you choose what brands to work with and who to endorse kind of how does that work because i know it's hard but you've also got to make money and activists should be paid
1: yeah yeah that's a really good question i think that because i've kind of existed on social media for best part of 2 years now that's a profile where i'm getting a lot of you know collaborations and people reaching out to me and First and foremost, I feel like I have to be willing to buy the brand anyway. Like I would buy it out of my own sort of money. That's something that I always think about. But then also I think about kind of what message are they allowing me to authentically portray? Um, Sometimes I find that brands really try and co-opt your words and use what you kind of think is is important to say, but they do it solely to market the product. Product without really considering who you are as a person. Um, and I, I do look at sustainability and like think about the optics of, of how this would affect my audience. But more importantly, when I think about accepting payment for certain collaborations, I always redistribute the money that I get in some capacity. Um, for instance, like when I collaborated with Vistaprint, I said to them that I wanted, if I was going to participate in this campaign, I wanted to raise awareness about. A new organization and charity called End the Virus of Racism, and I donated, like, some of my earnings from that to the charity. Um, and and that for me is really, really important. I really believe in like, my form of activism is the redistribution of my wealth and my power in whatever kind of capacities that I can, I can carry that out. Mm,
0: that's really, really important. I also felt really, uh, like, it was really important during the summer when a lot of people were making content i guess of a better word Mm. but around anti-racism and i was like well if i'm going to have someone on the podcast talking about their work then i need to make sure that money goes somewhere and that there's a generosity going back to the people creating the work but i saw something recently on um shared around sponsored content and more of an awareness with people's audiences to be like look guys i'm giving you all this stuff like if i have a sponsored post can you just support it um yeah and I like that. Mm. It's like more transparency is really important, I think.
1: Definitely. I always try and be really, really transparent about like where my money's going as well, why I'm working with a brand. Um, I don't actually work with brands that often. You know, I'm very... In terms of like a reciprocity like if you want to work with me how can I actually work with you how can I inform your company or your messaging how can I involve the climate movement and use you know your platform to to redistribute some of that attention to really really notable causes Um, so it's it's something I really consider quite carefully and payment for activists is a really funny one because activists are treated as disposable our work is not considered work our work is often considered just very fleeting and, and kind of rudimentary, but there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of labour, emotional labour in particular, that goes into this work and people benefit from it. Uh, the, the world benefits from it. And I've I've really put my foot down over the past few years about kind of paying and compensating activists. If you're a company or a brand or an organisation that's making money off your voice, Um Provided I'm still very picky and I won't necessarily say to some, say yes to something if it's got a big check attached to it. But you know, for the, for the brands that I am working with, if they want to work with me, I'm like, okay, you have to pay me if you're going to work with me. Same goes for any form of campaigning or spotlighting. In fact, you know, just this morning, I got off a call where someone asked me to make some content for a charity for free and then used you know, the fact that I'd be featured in a big magazine as leverage. And I always say exposure doesn't pay bills. And, you know, if charities and organizations truly value your activism, they will see the value in compensating you and know that actually part of the reason why your activism can continue is because you can get paid, because you can redistribute it to causes that you believe in. Um, and, you know, I've had the same messages repeated to me time and time again, people always saying, yeah, but celebrities donate their time for free. And I'm like, I'm not a celebrity. I don't have that platform. I don't earn that much money. Um, so the campaign the comparison is a little bit kind of moot um so yeah i it's something i'm really firm about and i'm i'm quite outspoken about as well
0: that's such a good point because you might have the same number of followers as someone who is a traditional celebrity but it doesn't it's not a like for like in that way and no. and so yeah that's a bit of a strange co- comparison for them to make but i wondered have you had to teach yourself the boundaries and like setting those because the amount of things you must get that are like oh can i just have a coffee with you mm. even big companies who ask just to like pick your brain about diversity like that is that is a lot of emotional labor even receiving that message
1: if a company does that i will you know i still give them my labor by explaining it to them and sometimes companies get it and sometimes they really just don't like i'll have companies that kind of say oh yeah 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 we really value that too and then never chase up and never try and work with me in the future and i'm like okay you're clearly someone i don't want to work with um and then there are some companies who really listen take stock of what i say and they're like okay we want to work with you on the basis of like how you've communicated this with us because it's so important and we we just don't understand it um so Yeah, it goes both ways sometimes. Like I have good, good responses and bad ones, but either way, like I'm not here for the money. I do this because I care about it. It will always be first and foremost about the cause. Um, And if I don't, yeah, if I don't put that kind of first, then I feel like it's really easy to lose your integrity and like succumb to sort of like more financial influences that don't necessarily have your vested interests.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah, that's really well put. And it's interesting because you know I've got a friend who is an amazing expert in Instagram like she just knows so much about the platform that is so mm. like not obvious to most users and she kind of isn't sure whether to charge for her time sometimes and mm. I'm like if you were a man in a suit you would yeah. call yourself a consultant <laughs> mm. and you would march in there and um, just the word consultant I think has changed like Time. They, they don't look the same anymore as they used to yep. in traditional setups yeah um but yeah the other thing I wanted to talk to you about which I just think is so brilliant is your work in the mental health space mm-hmm. and I know that you speak up about that a lot and I know we're in a, obviously a really tough time at the moment and the waiting yep. lists are really long in the UK especially um it's really hard to just get a therapist it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like something you can just do immediately For anyone struggling right now, is there anything you can offer just in terms of places to go maybe that are free for
1: now? So one of the things that I've really, really tried to do, because I'm very vocal about my mental health struggles, I have chronic mental health conditions, and I'm also just struggling with the lockdown and the winter depression. It's pretty normal for me uh, to be kind of low at this time of the year anyway. But the things that i've actually really been engaging with are online communities that are support networks i absolutely adore like some of the people that i follow who destigmatize mental health i also really enjoy community um pages and you know there are some amazing creators as well who just create resources on the conditions that i have and it it just it, it makes you feel so much less alone so i really encourage people to like tap into communities online support communities instagram in particular is great for that and I really, really believe that nature is healing. I know that it's very difficult with lockdown to, to get outside into green space. I know that it's difficult to find green space if you're in a very built up area. But if you have the privilege to, to find it, just try and make sure that you get outside like for your, you know, your one outing a day and make it green because that has been the biggest lifesaver for me. Uh, I do not know where I'd be without my park
0: (laughs) same oh my god it's so simple sometimes isn't it some of the stuff we need to do for ourselves like one Mm. psychologist friend i have she's like you just need to check sometimes like have you eaten (laughs) oh my (laughs) goodness have you eaten have you slept have you gone for a walk and sometimes i'm like i can't believe you're giving me this advice but it's
1: true it's so true the most rudimentary things we often neglect in times of like crisis and in times of just dismay I would say Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. uh, to be really honest I think this time has been so difficult for people that basic human needs have been so neglected and you know I I know that I have chronic mental health conditions and genetic predispositions to mental health conditions but I sometimes laugh at myself because I'm just like I feel depressed but I've also not eaten today not exercised and not gotten a good night's sleep like how can I you know how am I surprised at this
0: (laughs) yeah to- totally totally and i know that as someone who works for yourself like i've worked for myself for a few years now and i've really had to make sure that i find my people elsewhere because i don't have an office like the office mm-hmm. chat anymore that i kind of miss um do you have you found that through your activism have you found like you you've got your peeps now who you can yeah. have like a christmas zoom or hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully it'll be in person again soon
1: Community is everything for the climate movement. And so much of the stuff that I've been working on the past year has revolved around communities. And, you know, so many of the people that I'm talking to are all over the world. I've been working on this, um this one program, which is with Latin American and Caribbean youth. And it's just remarkable to think that we're all sitting in this one virtual room spread across the continents so for me that's been a real lifesaver and then we recently started a campaign called pass the mic which is to get celebrities and people of influence to you know share the limelight and to spotlight people who are talking about climate activism and the team that's behind it you know that we're working together with it's just phenomenal like people all over the world and that for me has been I think the best part about making this a full time career is that I get to work with people who I respect so much, who, you know, are from so many different places and who care about the same things that I do.
0: Mm, I love that. Pass the mic. That was amazing. Mm,
1: yeah. Some really exciting things happening with that. We've um, been speaking to the WWF team and Sir David Attenborough's team, and they want to move forward with that and see how they can transform the account into sort of like more of a, communal space for for climate for environmentalism so we're submitting some proposals but from this we've also decided to start our own initiative to get celebrities and, and people to to pass the mic so i've been trying to talk to stella about it and it's it seems fruitful wow. <laughs> so we'll
0: watch this space and that's incredible just for people that might not know so you basically noticed that david attenborough's account you know it has millions of people subscribe mm. to it sound like an old woman people follow (laughs) the account um and he i guess maybe wasn't using it as much or or was going to stop using it and you saw an opportunity there that's amazing
1: so essentially sir david attenborough had this account made for him um i think a lot of people thought it was him behind it which is a lot of labor for a 92 year old uh but it was created by you know some of the team who had worked on his latest documentary, A Life on Our Planet. And it was kind of seen as a marketing opportunity. And yeah, after gaining 6.2 million followers, I mean, up to a couple of weeks ago or days ago, rather, it was the fastest growing Instagram account in history. Like it reached like 1 million followers in something like uh four or five hours. And then it was superseded by Rupert Grin, who just got Instagram and and he did it in four hours or something like that. Um, so, you know, for me, it was like, this is record breaking. People have flocked from all over the world to follow your account and you're going to be shutting it down, which is such a shame. And obviously, you know, we can't expect Sir David to expend any labor. He's already done so much, but you know, this was a point where we were like, let's talk to the team and see if they're willing to open up the floor to environmental movements, to climate activists, to filmmakers to conservationists it doesn't even just have to be the climate movement you know so i just think there's a real power in using platforms for good that that way and um i'm hoping it kind of sets the precedent or or normalizes rather influential figures kind of giving up their space and their their privileges and their power to to help others in need and to help causes that really need the momentum
0: Mm. we've got such a skill because you know any sort of um and it wasn't criticism, but any sort of like words around David Attenborough is like, he's he's such a national treasure that no yeah. one can ever say anything about him. So I was like, wow, yeah. for you to have done that in such a way where people were like, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's It's remarkable, isn't it? And I always talk about this idea of like cults of personality because I also hold myself... Into in, this standard as well. I always say to my followers or to anyone who I engage with in activism or who, anyone that I work with in a community, if there's something that you think I've done, which is wrong or could do better, please tell me because I'd be so grateful for that. And I think that accountability is a form of love. Calling out is a form of love and people see it far too often as an attack. And I actually just think that when you have so much privilege and when you have so much influence and you've done something so great, like, that's amazing. This is my sort of plea to be like, you've done so much. And I think that because of that, I I think you could do more. And, you know, not necessarily him per se, but the people who represent him and the people who work with him. And I just think that it's it's such a taboo thing. And, and we need to start normalising, like calling out our heroes, because accountability can be something which is so phenomenal and can create so much change. And you know, I know that a lot of celebrities, unfortunately, do come under a lot of fire for for things. But if people see it as an opportunity to grow, then I think it can be framed in a really positive light.
0: I agree. It is almost like this greatest act of respect uh, mm. to say to someone, I really like you and I love your work. And here's where I think you've got some Completely. work to do. I like I actually love receiving those messages because every mm. single time, there's just a huge learning moment and I'm like, oh my God, thanks for speeding this up, basically, because so I had to yeah, learn this.
1: definitely. And every single time I've learned something, it's made me a better person and I'm so grateful for it. And I just think that there's a lot that we can kind of reframe culturally about these kinds of conversations that unfortunately are just so, yeah, I mentioned they're just so taboo and and they don't need to be. They They are... They are acts of love in many ways. And I, I always, you know, call out my friends if I don't agree with them on something. And that's because I care enough about them to say where I think they've gone wrong. And, and it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I'd call out my idols any day. I'm not afraid to, to quote unquote, like insult someone or to, you know, tell them what I think because it's not an insult. It's, it's just me saying, I respect your work enough to tell you where I think that you've gone wrong.
0: Yeah, and do you always find that you kind of come back to a agree, well, not an agreement, but do you find that it doesn't cause any rifts, like with friends? You you can always you're always friends at the end of the day after the conversations.
1: Well, yes, for the most part, but that's because I've got a really great group of friends who kind of appreciate the same um, ideals and, and nuances of these kinds of conversations. But then there's also elements where people don't, and and unfortunately like where people don't appreciate that it tends to go hand in hand with toxic behavior anyway like gaslighting and emotional abuse and I think I've just learned over the years to slowly weed out the influences in my life that aren't healthy for me and for my growth um so that's why I'm really really grateful for the people who do see the value in what I'm doing and it's Mm -hmm. important to surround yourself with people who appreciate you for for the love that you give out
0: totally totally such a good reminder um Mm. and so on hopefully we're going to end on a positive note of like Mm. what we're looking forward to in 2021 and i know that that is normally a question i ask guests and it's not as loaded as um (laughs) god what is next year going to look like but is there anything on the horizon that you're looking forward to it could be um work related or personal life or something (sighs) you you hope might happen
1: so many things um I am writing a book about eco-anxiety, which for me is something that I have lived, but is also something that I think is rooted in so much injustice because we focus so much on eco-anxiety of, uh, you know, the global north and, and not necessarily the hardships of people that I know in the global south. And so for me, it's a really, really personal um sort of take on my mental health, but also a way of spotlighting some other folks. Uh, so that's really exciting. And then I'm also working on some climate concert initiatives. Uh, first ever climate concert, uh, Climate Live is going to hopefully take place next year or maybe the next year I'm also working with a US-based um, communications firm on yeah, just trying to unite the world around music for a cause such as the climate movement which is really really exciting and it's something positive to look forward to because i think everyone loves music in some form and if we can get people to 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 you know fall in love with a cause as well that that is championed by musicians and and people of influence then i think it could be really powerful
0: Wow, that sounds like a lot is going on. That's incredible. (laughs) And in between all of that, I hope you are lying down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, in all fairness, rest is resistance and rest to me is a form of activism. I wholly believe that if you are an activist, you know, you are not disposable and your joy is something that is an act of resistance in a world that wants to see you burn out. So, yeah, I'm trying to find times. I love that.
0: It's such a beautiful link, I think, between so many activists I love. They are really, they have had to be really mm. good at self-care as well. Yeah,
1: completely. And, um, you know, I think that there is nothing more powerful than an activist of any sort taking a step back and going, my joy is, you know, my form of saying I'm in this for the long run because it's it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, so... I'm in this for life and I want to make sure that I can sustain that and that's what sustainability truly means to me (laughs) oh my god full circle thank (laughs) you so
0: much um let's end on that but uh that was such an interesting conversation it's definitely given me a lot to think about and um just thank you for putting so much positivity and all of your energy into such brilliant things thank Thank you.
1: you so much for having me